Well, good to see everybody here uh, this morning during this Thanksgiving week. Um, so many blessings, and I'm sure uh, you folks are, um, each one of you has just wonderful stories of what, of what God is doing. Um, you know, before we get started, one thing I want to remember, um, I, was, I was reminded, I probably pushed it out of my mind for sorrow, that the uh, Rollins, uh, this is going to be for the foreseeable future, their last visit with us, Bruce and Angie. And uh, brother, how long have we been serving here together? Ten years. And uh, they have just been such a joy, such a treasure to the church, to the community. Angie, for um, so many years, um, led Hollister Pregnancy Center now. Hollister Pregnancy Center. Compassion. And uh, um, just uh, proclaiming the sanctity of human life and serving young men and women in our community with um, unexpected pregnancy. And Bruce, um, I'm gonna so enjoy those choruses, those Christmas and uh, Easter events that we, we got to see and hear all those voices proclaiming the glory of God. Those were and will be wonderful memories. So reluctantly, we send you off with our blessing and uh, I know everybody here is going to continue to pray for you folks in the next season in life and where God is leading you guys and, and where you're going to be serving next. Um, and we'll be excited to hear um, all that God is doing. But um, I just want to express my, my thanks for your friendship and um, my blessing to you guys. Well, this uh, text we're going to be in this morning... Um, I've tentatively labeled last night, saved, sanctified, and sealed. We're in Peter's second letter. Peter is by far, uh, personally, I don't know if you have a favorite apostle. He's my favorite apostle. When I was uh, first saved, there were so many scriptures that spoke to my troubled heart. And this is this text, Second Peter, chapter one, will be uh, going through verse one through verse 11, is, is full of rich blessing and promise. We all want and seek for the keys to success, don't we? Success in life, probably the biggest non-common denominator is how we define that success. And I remember when I was in my 30s, I got a hold of a tape series by a, a, a very popular motivational speaker. This is back in the days of Tony Robbins. It wasn't Tony Robbins, but somebody like that. This guy had a, had a, a, a wonderful... Southern drawl, which immediately gave him authority with what he was saying, because this is homespun wisdom. And I don't know, I had, this set had maybe 20 tapes, hours that um, I would get in my car and pop in that tape, 
just looking for nuggets that would give me those keys to success. And of course, this is during that period of time where my career was just starting, and, uh, and I, I wanted it all. I wanted money, I wanted uh, position, I wanted acknowledgement, I wanted to be happy. And uh, I listened to that tape and listened to that tape. I can't remember almost one thing that I got from that tape series that I spent so many hours on. But I do remember he had this saying, and uh, because much of this was sort of uh, directed towards um, the young executive or the salesperson, somebody who wanted to have influence and, and um, make things happen, he would have this way that he said of, of putting things. He would say, if I could tell you the way you could be happy, be successful, enjoy a rich, full life, you'd probably want to know about it, wouldn't you? And I remember that. I don't think I got it from him, but when I came to faith in Christ, I started discovering things in the Bible that I think I can almost hear Peter saying, Michael, if you want to know the keys to success in the Christian life, you'd probably want to know about it, wouldn't you? And I do, and I bet you do too. And that's what Peter wants to do. In his second letter, he's writing to really the same group of people that he wrote to in his first letter. He described them as elect exiles in the dispersion. This is all the uh, uh, believers from, from the exploding church that uh, as, as the church grew and grew and to a world that had rejected God became more and more annoying and they began to experience persecution. And during that persecution, it caused a dispersion. And of course, God always uses suffering in our lives for great things. And in this case, he uses it for a great purpose in the church. And the church spread throughout um, Asia Minor in the areas that we would call Turkey. And many, many churches were founded there. And here in his greeting, speaking to those same people, he identifies them. But before I go any further, let me, let me read through the whole text, and then we'll break it down a little bit, piece by piece. Beginning in verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in Peter's introduction, he says a few things that are worth noting. One is that he's talking to a group of people who have obtained a faith of equal standing. And coming from a system of order of priests, a hierarchy, he is making clear that all believers have the same standing. There is no hierarchy. There is no rank. There is no special standing or, or title. There is no second-class believer. We can't look to another believer and say, well, their faith is better. Their faith is stronger. The faith that we stand on is the same. And it's built, he says, in, in standing on the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, in his first letter, put it this way for believers. He said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said, is the same Lord who is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. We stand together on the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and nothing else. And before we even proceed farther into the letter, that truth that we stand on the righteousness of Christ has to be foundational to where Peter is going to leave us, lead us, or we are going to be very confused. Paul in Ephesians, you know this verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So this is Peter's introduction by way of making sure we understand the salvation that we stand in. But salvation is just the beginning. In verses 3 and 4, Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Life and godliness. Life being eternal life. We don't want to confuse this with the life we always hoped for, right? 
I really always wanted to live in Hawaii. <laughs> but that's not the life he's talking, talking about. It's not temporal circumstances. It's not our geography. It's not even all that is encompassed in what we experience in this world. He's talking about eternal life. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And what is that life? That life, it begins with salvation. God saves us, but he doesn't stop there. He gives us a life to live that begins now and goes through eternity. I'm not sure who picked up the, uh, if, it, if it was ever reiterated, Paul, was, Paul is famous for picking up phrases from the pagans and using them back at them to speak truth. And I, I remember that movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. You know, what we do in this life reverberates into eternity, right? And what, what Peter is telling us is that God is providing for us everything we need to live this life now and into eternity. Life does not begin when we die, if we think of eternal life. Life does not begin when the Lord returns. Life for the believer begins at the moment his spirit breathes life into us. That's when we're born. That's when life begins. And God intends and, and, and proclaims that that life that he has given us is eternal life. And Peter wants to make sure we understand that he has equipped us for that. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think of what that, that, that power is, just so you don't underestimate it in your own life. It speaks creation into existence. It establishes nations. It destroys armies. It sets up kings. It raises the dead. Paul strove for this power. He said in Philippians that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says we can experience the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. See, God does not leave us to our own devices saying go and Live godly lives. Only God makes a man godly. Jude 124 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What a glorious promise. We are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, we're encouraged that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But Peter tells us that power is, is procured in a specific way. And he says that we are granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how do we, how do we gain this knowledge? How do we gain this knowledge of our Lord and Savior who has called us? Well, I'll give you a few suggestions. First, we dwell with him. We dwell with Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I wonder how our days would change if they began with an awareness that we dwell with our Lord and Savior. Second, we see hear and touch him. 1 John 1, 1 through 2 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the words of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. God desires that we have an intimate, personal knowledge of our Lord and Savior. This isn't an intellectual, academic understanding that I can simply sit down, read the words of Scripture, make notes, and experience all that God wants us to have in Christ. It's an intimate, personal relationship. Thirdly, we grow in our knowledge of the Lord when we behold his glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is an amazing promise. As we behold the Lord, as we see his glory portrayed in scripture and and made alive through the spirit that he gives us, beholding that glory actually transforms us from one stage of glory to another. This is that divine power Peter is talking about that God has granted to us for life and godliness sanctification. He transforms us. But I don't get transformed by watching a football game. Nothing against football. I love football. And it's a great way to relax in front of the TV, but I am not going to be transformed into the image of God by TV. And that's why, you know, our time is just so precious. One of the things 
um, that is, has really been impressed upon me in the last couple years when, when you think you have unlimited time, as, we, as most of us do for much of our life, is what I do with my time is so important and it can, it can have such an impact on eternity. In this knowledge of God, I think this is um, one of those heartwarming stories in the Gospels that I often think of when I think of knowing the Lord. The road to Emmaus. And you can imagine the disciples at that point um, absolutely dejected. Their countenance is in the dirt. Everything has failed, it seems. And then this stranger begins walking with them. And they don't recognize that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he, he carries on with them all the way to Emmaus. And only at the end do they realize that they have been with the Lord. And that, that closeness, this, this is their response. They say, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. This is time well spent, folks, with the Lord. And what a feeling it is to, to feel his presence and feel our hearts burn within us, to actually experience the Christian life with passion. Not something that began 20 years ago, and I'm really grateful for her. Well, another guy that put this really well, our men's Bible study, um, we've taken up on Sunday nights to reading some old dead guys, which can be really fruitful. A.W. Tozer um, preached... Uh, I'm not sure exactly when he began, but around the beginning of the century and on into uh, the beginning, the uh, middle, uh, latter three quarters, I guess, of um, the 20th century. An untrained man, just loved to read, loved the Lord, and passionately pursued an into intimacy with God. And, his, and in his classic Christian book, The Pursuit of God, he says this, the modern scientist has lost God amid the wonders of the world. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amid the wonders of his word. We have almost forgotten that God is a person and as such can be cultivated as any person can, or as I would put it, as any personal relationship can. It can be cultivated. It is inherent in personality to be able to know other personalities, but full knowledge of one personality by another cannot be achieved in one encounter. 
It is only after long and loving mental intercourse that the full possibilities of both can be explored. There is richness beyond our wildest dreams in our pursuit of Christ and an intimate relationship with him. So, Peter telling us that we have been granted all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And then he says in verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sin. God's promises. Well, what promises? What promises does God give us? I think the list could be endless, but just a few. He promises us the Holy Spirit. He promises us resurrection life. He promises us abundance of grace. He promises us joy. He promises us strength. He promises us wisdom. He promises us heaven. He promises us eternal rewards. And he goes on to say, that by these promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. That is really something. He has given us standing in Christ. He has given us divine power. He has given us divine knowledge. Now he has given us divine promises. And now he says he will give us a divine nature through those promises. Now Peter takes a little bit of a turn in his letter to us. And in verse 5, he says through verse 7, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Supplement our faith. Everything we read from verses 1 through 4 screams to us that God's provision is perfect. God's provision is complete. Supplement your faith. Do I have to add to what God has already done? Didn't divine power grant us all things for life and godliness? What could there possibly be to add 
to faith. One interesting word, supplement, is a tip. Supplement is a, is a common word in Greek culture. It's speaking of the generous benefactor that would provide for a chorus. He, he, he would be the one, the wealthy guy in town that would be able to provide the costumes. He would be able to provide the lyrics. He would be able to provide the music and the performers for this production that was so important to the community. When he is saying, supplement your faith, he is saying that God's divine power has granted us the capacities for living out what he calls us to live. This supplement is to provide in abundance. And we understand this. James spoke of this very clearly in chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Can you imagine reading this? His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us his very great and precious promises. He has given us the knowledge of his son. And we sit back and we just say, man, my faith is stronger than ever. And the nothing happens. This is what he means by his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He not only equips us, he empowers us to live the life he calls us to. So we ask ourselves, is this true of me? Have I become a partaker of the divine nature? then provide in abundance these things. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. I don't do this by buckling down, by grimacing, by straining, by reading more, various books. Certainly not by listening to self-help tapes. I do this in confidence because the Spirit of God lives within me. He has given me eternal life. He has empowered me to live a life of godliness for his glory. Well, there's another benefit in all this. And Peter tells the church, confirm your calling. He says, for if these qualities, certainly the qualities he just listed up above, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter tells us these qualities, they're yours. They should be increasing and they will make us effective and fruitful. You know, just thinking back to that whole illustration of of um, wanting to have a, a successful life. What are the keys to having a successful life? There is, there is nothing more specific to the definition of success than living a fruitful life to the glory of God by the power of God. And this is the wonderful calling that God gives us. And don't let the word calling escape you. The theologians speak of calling in two different ways. One, the general calling. That says, I can stand up here, I can speak the gospel to you, I can preach the gospel. Jesus Christ lived, died, and was, and was raised again for eternal life. That's the gospel. And we can all hear it. But God's effective calling is when his spirit comes within us and empowers us with new life. And he calls us. In Calvin terminology, it would be irresistible grace. God calls, him, calls us to himself. This is not something that we accomplish on our, on our own. Well, he goes on to say, after saying, confirm your calling and election, if you practice these things, he says, you will never fall. There is nothing more, um, nothing more that, that would create insecurity within a Christian than if the fruit of our lives is inconsistent with what God proclaims he has done within us. Isn't that right? But what a joy it is to walk through this life empowered by the Holy Spirit and see those little incremental changes as we behold his glory. And as Paul said, we're being trans transformed from one glory to another. And I don't even think we necessarily see what God is doing. It's just, it's... 
Christ's glory is so reflected upon us that we immediately turn back to him and just give him praise and thanks for the work he is doing in my life. And I am left with complete peace and confidence because things are happening in my life that could never happen on my own. God is working. God is real. His divine power is truly within me. Not because I'm a great guy. My wife will tell you that. But because I see I'm not the guy I used to be. God is transforming me. Confirm your calling and election. And when we confirm it, we will walk with confidence and not fall. So can we, can we receive divine power for life and godliness, but reflect little of the glory of the Lord in our lives? I don't think so. Can we be granted his precious and very great promises, but not experience their transforming power in our lives? I don't think so. One thing for sure, you will have little assurance of your calling and election if we do not. But, prom but God promises us that we will. His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ our Savior. Supplement, add, provide in abundance to your faith all these things, for he has equipped you to do it. Take hold of the life God has called you to. It's so much more than a moment of acceptance. Be fruitful. Make Jesus known. And if you're still looking for the keys to success, and you recently picked up a self-help book, perhaps on sale on Amazon, I'd recommend putting it down and pick up the Bible and learn of the keys of success to eternal life that God promises us. Will you join with me in prayer? Father, I just think of this letter as Peter penned this to the church. Perhaps his heart was heavy knowing of so many brothers and sisters who were suffering persecution who had great difficulty in their lives and perhaps didn't fully understand all that God, through Jesus Christ, has provided to us. And his heart yearned to make that known. Christian, you have been given eternal life and you have been given everything 
pertaining to that life to walk it with me and to glorify me. Praise God for his great mercy, for his divine power. Father, may this be true of us. May we be inspired in spite of the circumstances we find our lives in, despite the temporal calamities of our life, that, Father, we grasp the truth that you have provided all that we need for life and godliness through your divine power and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Christ's name, amen.